6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. You know, the city has announced plans to close the temporary pandemic shelter at the Edmonton Convention Center at the end of the month. And by doing so, um, you know, you close that space, you have to make other plans uh, and, and make those plans for those experiencing homelessness. Uh, and and they've released those details and we're going to find out more about it. We're joined by Crystal Kajenner, the Director for Housing and Homelessness for the City of Edmonton. Hey, Crystal, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jalen. Thanks for me on. Yeah, nice to talk with you. So let's start with the convention center. Why uh, moving away from that setup? Uh, so the city of Edmonton, um, as you know, has been working since the beginning of the pandemic um, with Alberta Health Services and the government of Alberta's community and social services to ensure that um, there's adequate uh, facilities available for people who are experiencing homelessness to meet their needs. So as you can imagine, with the guidelines around um, uh social distancing and the restrictions on capacity limits, a lot of the existing facilities were really challenged to be able to continue to serve the same number of people. So we've been working on a um, all in tandem together to evolve our approach throughout the pandemic to ensure everyone's needs could be met. So part of the reason for transitioning away from the convention center is in um, keeping up with the need to be responsive and ensure that we're providing the best type of response. And with the emergence of the new variants, um, it was determined amongst the partners that we should be moving moving, um, transitioning away from large congregate facilities to a a larger number of small facilities that can meet uh, more dispersed locations across the city. Great point. It it has been a a, a real year of of learning and pivoting uh, for the city when it comes to dealing with with those who are unhoused and 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 learning what to do and what not to do, hasn't it, Crystal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, obviously, no one saw um, this, no, or you know, a lot, many many people were, were yeah. um, caught off guard by a global pandemic. I don't think. A lot of people had that in their forecasts for 2020, but um, we're grateful to have the support of, uh, you know, great partners and also really hardworking frontline agencies um, that have worked with us to, to identify needs and to quickly come up with solutions as the years progressed. Just curious, want to throw this one at you before we move into what is going to be done. I mean, looking back um, over the past number of months with the service provided uh, at the convention center, you know, can you can you give us an you know how how did that go? We did hear some reports of violence. We did hear some reports of damage. But of course, you know, those are the things that we are going to hear about. What did the what did the city learn? Um, and what did you learn from you know from having that that um, that that operation? in place? Uh, sure. So I think uh, that's a really good question. So I think um, now obviously when we opened up the uh, pandemic, temporary pandemic shelter, it was in the face of, you know, the coming winter months and it, we knew it was yeah. going to be really cold and we needed to make sure that as many people as possible could um, access that space. And so we um, set it up very quickly over the course of, uh, you know, a few weeks and it was right at the time when the second wave was sort of, um, you know, hitting us. Uh, right sort of head on and so um, I think what we learned is that uh, obviously 
um, you know, people need these services regardless of what's happening. And so yeah. by provide, so the convention center is providing meals, laundry, showers, enhanced storage, uh, mental health and medical supports. And so it was uh, really important to be able to maintain that continuity of service. And then I think the other piece is collaboration was really key to address yeah. issues as they emerge head on and make sure that the right supports were in place. So we worked really closely with, you know, we in the context of the second wave, we had an outbreak and we worked really closely with Alberta Health Services and the frontline agencies to ensure that um, we could adapt our protocols and make sure that everyone, we were keeping everybody safe. And then the same thing when security issues arose, uh, we worked really closely with the Edmonton Police Service to identify any opportunities for improvement and um, really integrated the police service uh, representatives of the police service into the operations of the of the shelter and that I think helped enhance um, uh, security on site as well and you know obviously any type of operation like this where you're meeting the needs of three over five to six hundred people a day many who are you know suffering from um, substance use disorders or mental health issues uh, there's always going to be challenges that arise but the key is really uh, close collaboration between those agencies that know their clients the best and also supported by Alberta Health Services and EPS and other partners and so working together ensuring we had good communication and were um, aligned in quickly responding I think was key to ensuring we could um, achieve the success that we did. Yeah, you know, and here's hope. I mean, there's uh, so many people are learning lessons, so many businesses, so many operations, so many whatever learning lessons through uh, the past uh, year and obviously the city as well with this. And here's hoping that we don't have to go through anything like this uh, again in the future. But, um, you know, when it comes to even, you know, emergency response planning, that sort of thing, I think uh, everything that you take away from um, that uh, that emergency shelter at the convention center will be able to be used in the future or if it or if it's needed you can look back on it and go you know what did we learn from here so i think that's going to be really interesting to have on the books as you move ahead so with 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 it closing where are people going what will be the plan i know you know hope mission has a plan the mustard seed i think everyone's mm-hmm. got a little bit uh, different so what will happen yeah so absolutely and i think your point about the lessons learned is really important yeah. and and in fact those lessons are already being put into use and that's what um, awesome. was, was informing <laughs> the future plan yeah so we decided to transition to a, num- a larger number of smaller facilities spread across the city. And so what that looks like is um, Hope Mission will be moving into the Spectrum building, which is the former horse race track yes. uh, south of the Edmonton Expo Center. So uh, that space will be used to provide 24-7 shelter to uh, about 150 people at any given time. And as you mentioned, the mustard seed is also um has transitioned out of the former Sesco warehouse where they were operating into um, four different church shelters. So they'll be offering shelter at um, four different churches in the old Strathcona area, which um, most of those spaces will be available on a 24-7 basis. And then we also have... um, in addition to those two shelter changes, we'll also be operating new uh, day services locations. And so uh, the city has provided a warehouse at 105th Street and 105th Avenue, just outside downtown, which will yeah. be serving um, between 1680 folks at any given time. And they'll, people there will be able to access meals, showers, um, cultural supports, housing supports, and other types of services. And then we've also worked with Boyle Street Community Services and the Bissell Center to expand access to 
their existing drop-in facilities. So um, the Boyle Street Community Services has a courtyard adjacent to its building that they'll be programming um, throughout the summer to allow to increase the number of people that can be served in that space at any given time. And then the Bissell Centre uh, will be reopening their day drop-in and operating up, um, up to 10 hours a day, um, seven days a week going forward. So. Yeah. How important, is that, yeah, how, how important is that daytime drop-in, uh, those daytime drop-in spaces? Yeah, so it's really important. Um, I mean, I think when people think of un, uh, people who are experiencing homelessness or unhoused folks, they think, you know, uh, first and foremost, they think of shelter. Um, but what we, what we know is that, obviously, um, people who don't have a home <laughs> need other places to access uh, services and support during the day. And with the pandemic, um, closing the number of public spaces, whether that be a food court or a library or a rec center, a lot of those places that are accessible to people, to the general public at any given time are just not available uh, currently because of public health restrictions. And so those day drop-in spaces are, have always been important for people experiencing homelessness, but they're even more critical during the pandemic. Um, ultimately, we know that you know, we can manage homelessness the best we can, but the solution is to connect people to resources and supports so that they can access housing permanently. And um, that's ultimately the best solution for people. Is, you know, when you when you move uh, folks away from that one spot, that one place downtown, you know, where everyone was going or, you know, in that area, like the convention center and maybe moving people out a little bit. And now a lot of the places are still going to be downtown. But I mean, the expo center is a little bit further out. Is there concern with with with, um, you know, the, the, the clients being able to to get to some of these services? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely um, a factor and something that we can considered in um, working with our partners to identify locations for transition. Uh, So we know that we do know that there are people experiencing homelessness across the city and so there needs to be resources available in as broad of an area as possible but that being said um, you know there are a larger proportion of people who are located in in the central area right and so um, one of the things that we paid attention to and when looking at buildings was making sure that they were well served by public transit so all of the locations in the old Strathcona area are obviously near White Avenue which is well served by transit and then we also um, have those three new locations which are in walking distance from downtown and then and with the Spectrum location near the Expo Center, that's obviously right off the LRT line. So there are options for people to get there, but we'll continue to work with those agencies and ensure that we identify if there are gaps or if, you know, if um, we identify barriers around transportation, then we'll continue to look for solutions. And in the past, like at Tippinawa, what we found, which was, sorry, the shelter at the convention center, we had to, we actually ended up operating a 20, almost a 24-hour seven shower, shuttle, which yeah. uh, provided transportation to other shelters and helped people um, get to where they need to go. So those are all okay. things that we definitely consider and we'll stay on top of for sure. It was interesting to read about these um, these uh, mobile washrooms being mm-hmm. put in place uh, as well. Tell us about that. Sure. So um, another another gap that's emerged through the pandemic is just, uh, I think, highlighting the fact just how um, how much people rely on private, you know, private washrooms yeah. or washrooms in private spaces like malls or other yep. places. And so when uh, those thing, when those services are restricted because of public health guidelines or just they have reduced hours, um, there's just a gap has emerged where people just are having trouble accessing washroom facilities. And so um, what we're looking or what the city's putting into place there is there'll be up to six uh, uh, washroom facilities provided on a temporary basis in key areas where we 
we've noticed those gaps and they'll be staffed um, throughout their opening hours um, by washroom attendants. So we're working with uh, in a partnership with Boyle Street uh, Ventures, which is a social enterprise run by Boyle Street Community Services, and they employ people who formerly experienced homelessness to um, provide those washroom attendant roles going forward okay yeah because that, that could be a bit of a i don't want a tricky job as well depending on you know what's happening what isn't happening that you know how, how people are feeling or how people aren't but uh interesting stuff i just want to go back to the convention center for for a second crystal as this shuts down on april 30th getting it back up to where it needs to be for when we're able to have conventions uh, that sort of thing again how long is that going to take um is there is there a, a lot of work to be done there um, yeah, um, well, so ac- actually one of the reasons why uh, the Convention Center was identified as a solution over the winter was because they were actually planning to do a number of renovations already yeah. um, and were going to take it, wanted to take advantage of the pandemic sort of downtime to, to uh, accelerate those those capital plans so we've been working closely with explore edmonton who's responsible for the convention center to ensure that um, they'll have adequate time to make any required repairs as a result of um, us being in there but then also to um, do those more full-scale renovations that they had planned already and so that they're i know one of their top priorities that we're working to support them on is ensuring that that building is up and ready to go as soon as uh, large events are allowed again any idea on the amount of repairs that needs to be done or the cost on it? Um, I don't have uh, the specific cost figure, but I can tell you that, I mean, there are damages for sure, but they're mostly superficial things. Um, so okay. obviously there's, there's some, if you've seen, been near the convention center or recently, you might have noticed there's a few broken windows on the exterior. There's yeah. some um, washroom plumbing damage to the washrooms, that sort of thing, just from the high usage of having, you know, 300 people in there 24 seven hours a day uh, has um, accelerated some of the wear and tear, Uh, but they're not, uh, yeah, I guess there's damages, but they're not really any, they're not disproportionate from what we'd expect with this type of a use. Crystal Kajenner joining us this afternoon. She's the director for housing and homelessness for the city of Edmonton. Just one more question before I let you go, Crystal. No, last year we saw a number of uh, of uh, encampments set up. Uh, that became a bit of a, a flashpoint uh, in the city between the groups that had set those up, those who are you know maybe running them and 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 police that sort of stuff. What is being done as we move forward into warmer weather to um, to to, to, to really have a, a, I guess, maybe a coordinated approach on, on how to deal or not deal with with these encampments, these camps, if they, if they happen and when they happen again? Yeah, that's a great question. And so um, I think I'll, I'll just start by saying for sure, in keeping with the theme of sort of lessons learned, I think there's, um, we're definitely working very closely with the Edmonton Police Services and our agency partners to uh, cre- create a new plan for encampments this year going forward. And so uh, we are hoping to certainly avoid any more, another large encampment from forming and establishing. Um, and we, so we're working on sort of a multi-pronged plan along those lines, which we hope to be able to share more details of in the coming weeks. But what I can tell you now is that um, our regular response to encampments is still in effect, which means uh, we we receive all complaints uh, from encampments through through and one and those complaints are prioritized so we send a peace officer out to investigate they come back with information and then we prioritize um, the camps in, for closure based on the risks factors present mm-hmm. so 
if there's a public health risks, if there's risks to the individuals occupying the site, if the encampment's near a school or in another area where we'd have, um, you know, very immediate concerns, those camps are all assessed and prioritized. And so, and then each week a number are set for closure. And before the camps are closed um, via sort of a voluntary compliance exercise, we do ensure that um, housing workers, outreach workers, are able to get into the site first and connect with the individuals who are staying in those sites and ensure that they um, are connected to housing support so that if they would like uh, to access breach housing, that's made available yeah. to them. All right, Crystal joining, Crystal Jenner joining us this afternoon. Always appreciate the conversation, always appreciate your time. Thanks for this, Crystal. Thanks, Jalen. I'll talk to you later. Yeah.